0: We all have moments where we feel insecure. Without awareness, those moments of insecurity shape so much of our lives. Hi, I'm Chris McAllister, and I founded SightShift to help people like you and me, leaders and coaches, use the moments they feel insecure to transform their identity, their teams, and their culture. Listen in as I interview people around what it means to be the kind of leader who uses these moments to transform themselves. All right, welcome to the podcast, folks. Um, This is so fun for me to shift the energy of this show now to these interviews because I get to hang out with people that I've had a blast with at some level in the past, and I have not been able to be with them in a while. And Shannon, so glad to have you here today and get to catch up with you.
1: Very excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Chris. It's good to see you.
0: Oh, yeah, we're gonna have some fun. So a little context. Uh, Shannon Lee leads Leadership Columbus. We both are in Columbus, Ohio area. Well, she isn't really now you're you're out in the country, but you're still part of the suburb for the metro area, we should say. Past the suburbs. But uh, I know that for me, when I think about you and, and the easiest way I could introduce you to uh, the audience is a person who is seeking to do all they can. I was thinking about this preparing for our time. Two words, lead and grow. When I think about you, I think about those words. How can I, how can I grow? How can I get better through this? And how can I bring leadership to it and improve it for others? And so that for me is like, got to, got to have Shannon on the show. That's what we want to do for folks. Um, so you've been leading now at Leadership Columbus. How long?
1: About a year and four months. So it's still pretty new. So yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and just tell us just a little bit about what Leadership Columbus is, what what it seeks to accomplish. Um, I've got more questions. I'll ask about it after that, but we'll start there.
1: Yeah, so they're a community leadership organization, which actually doesn't explain a lot to folks unless they're actually familiar with community leadership organizations. There are iterations of organizations just like ours all over the country. And what those organizations do is they traditionally focus on civic leadership and what that means is they educate community members around different aspects of civic life like health and human services public safety and justice you know the economic environment of the of the community uh, quality of life the educational system those types of things and up until I joined the organization, that was primarily what Leadership Columbus did as well. What the Leadership Columbus board was seeking to do when they were looking at a transition in leadership was really exploring what else could Leadership Columbus be for Columbus. Mm-hmm. They had noticed that several other leadership programs in the United States, um, just a few, had also expanded their programming to include not just civic leadership programming but also programming around functional leadership skills and relational leadership skills. Mm-hmm. And so part of the reason they brought me in was I had experience with building programs that included those types of that type of leadership programming. And so now that's how we talk about the totality of our leadership programs and I really believe that if you're going to be a community trustee, which is what Leadership Columbus says that they pump out, are the future leadership uh, trustees of the community. That those leaders should have prowess around community trusteeship, and you know civ- they should be civically educated and be civic-minded. But I do believe that they should also have functional leadership skills. They should know how to lead people. You know they should know mm. how to manage folks, um, and they should have. Um, relational leadership skills, emotional intelligence, self-awareness. And that when you combine those three things that you really have a powerhouse, a trifecta, if you will, (laughs) of of what it takes to be truly civically engaged. And um, so we started adding programs that were either already created um, or that we've been creating to deploy uh, little by little into the community. And the benefit to that rather than you know there are plenty of employers that have internal programming Mm -hmm. but the benefit of a community-based program is that you know if i'm an individual at an employer you know and i join a community-based leadership program now i'm exposed to other participants that come from different industries different teams lots of different uh, diversity dimensions and i'm not just talking about race i'm talking about just experiences backgrounds now I'm not just going to a leadership program with my marketing team. I'm, I'm exposed to participants that come from different companies and different cultures within that company. And I'm going through maybe a cohort program for that you know 10 month long program that um, has a cross section from the community. And I'm going through a growth experience with them now.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so we offer those opportunities to the community all year long.
0: Uh if only we needed better civic leaders, what a, what a thing to waste your time on. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's so powerful. The need is so huge. And you see just, I, I, I know when I started, uh, the work of actively putting myself out there, impacting leaders, um, especially with like mid twenties and under these early stage CEOs. And they would be like, I don't, the word leadership doesn't mean anything to me. Um, you know, and I'm like, it will, I promise. And it's been fun to have five, seven years later, them come back around and be like, oh, leadership is like everything. And, uh, what a, what a, what a mission. Um, you use the word diversity there. I think this, this isn't going to be a rabbit trail. This is, this is going to weave back (laughs) around. from afar, I've watched you, um, at least this has been the, what it's impressed upon me, Uh, really seek to grow, to to learn, to be aware, to be inclusive, what it looks like to to not just get the facts, but put it into action. Um, What was the impetus of that for you?
1: Um, A lot of people, it's funny, a lot of people ask me that. A lot of people assume it was the George Floyd, um, the incident around George Floyd, that tragedy. It actually Mm -hmm. started long before that. Um, I think the... What happened with George Floyd was something that caused me to be more vocal, but it was actually in advance of that, maybe eight or 10 months before that, I was at a different organization, executive director at that organization, and we were at a retreat and we were talking about how we can create more diversity within the organization from a participant standpoint. And for some reason, and I really can't pinpoint it, Chris, I can't say how it happened or or why something was just bubbling up in me that I now would call a moral imperative, um, Mm. which is different than a responsibility or a priority. A priority and a responsibility are things that can shift, right? If, if, If you told me, hey, Shannon, these are my priorities, in three weeks from now or a month from now, you could shift those things based on a new priority, something that's more yeah. urgent or a responsibility. A moral imperative is something that tends to be pretty constant in your life. It's something that's deeper than that. It's something that you believe that if this is something that you don't engage in, that something, and more importantly, that someone will be uh, detrimentally impacted if you do not take action. It's it's very, very deep within you and that it's almost as if you cannot escape it. Mm. And it had been there for a long time and I had kind of run from it because I wasn't sure how to address it. And I got honest with the board and said, I feel this tugging inside around diversity and I don't know how to approach it. And so the only thing I know to do is is just kind of clumsily approach it here and say, how can we have a more diverse program? You know, And I was referring to a specific program that was not very diverse. And that's kind of where I started. And one of the board members who was a, was a black woman, she said, before we do that, Shannon, this is what we really need to do. Each and every one of us in this room, which was the board and the staff, we need to, First, look at our social media streams, our LinkedIn follower list, who we're following, who's influencing us, and what they look like. Do they look like us? And she pointed to her skin. She goes, and I mean me too. Mm -hmm. Do they all look like me? And she's a, a DEI professional. And she said, we need to really evaluate who we listen to, who we learn from, and commit to following and listening, buying books, taking trainings from people who do not think like us, do not look like us, and do not sound like us. She goes, I mean music, art, trainings, thought leaders, authors, social media influencers. She goes, I challenge every single one of you to start doing this. My second challenge is as you follow them on social media, as you listen, I challenge you for the next year to not make one comment, on their social media, to not engage in their space at all, but to listen only. And when you hear something you don't understand, go research it and learn some more. Wow. And I listened to that advice and took it to heart. And what was interesting was, as you know how social media works, your algorithm starts to change as you
0: start mm-hmm. following
1: people that don't, you know, it's so easy to really um, homogenize what comes into your space As, as any person, but as a white person, you know, so much like, as I really interrogated what was in my social media space, my professional space on LinkedIn, um, I looked at my bookcase. It never Mm. occurred to me how homogenous my, even my leadership learning was every author on my bookcase was white. Mm. Um, every author cited in my own book that I wrote was white. And I realized how homogenous everything that I learned about leadership and about life, about psychology, about emotional intelligence was white. And as I began to learn from other people that didn't look like me, people who were black, indigenous, and other people of color, my world just expanded. And I was like, oh, there's so much thought leadership out there that had totally different ideas about some of these concepts and they weren't necessarily conflicting ideas some of them were but they were from perspectives that were um just different and that were so much more enriching to my growth and i learned that so many of these perspectives that i would grown up with were incomplete like there were chapters missing from the book that i was taught from Mm -hmm. because I didn't have those experiences and I'm, now I know, like looking back, the reason why I needed that education was because inviting people into our space saying we want diversity, please come to our program, our program wasn't safe for those folks. We didn't have a program that represented those folks. We would have invited them still into a program that only represented our white experience. And so she needed us to be educated on other people's experience so that a leadership program sounded like more experiences. Right. Mm. And so that is what started my journey. And so as I learned those things, I just became so passionate about all of those things. And it's, it's lifelong of course. And, um, that, that's just where it all started. And I'm so grateful. That she asked us to do that because that that just that just became the spark that that started everything off.
0: Wow, I, and I, I'm grateful because the influence, and the impact. I mean, on me watching you go through that, at least what you were sharing online and social media, but then also uh, now the impact you have on the organization. Um, I think when we go through a, a, a shift like that, there's no doubt some impact that it adds to our lives in terms of value. And I want to ask about that in a second. First I want to ask this what, if anything, has it cost you to to go in this direction and to take this on as a moral imperative?
1: I think initially p- part of the cost was it um, and I and I, I say this carefully because I don't nobody's feeling sorry for me and I don't want sure. anyone to feel sorry yeah. for me. Thank you. Sure. Um, Initially, um, you know, what it cost me was I needed to, there's like a a breaking down, like a, a, I hate to use this term because it's so overused now, but I had to deconstruct some belief systems. And part of what I lost in that process was I deconstructed some of my faith because I saw a lot, of, a lot of my faith was rooted in, um, unbeknownst to me at the time, white supremacy. And so, mm. so that was for a while, I perceived that as a loss. And there was some grieving I had to do because so much of my life was based in some belief systems that once I learned what I learned, those things didn't work anymore and I was left with like nothing. I, I, it felt like I was, didn't have anything to stand on. And so I feel like it cost me that. I don't feel like it's a loss anymore, but at the time it felt like a huge loss, like what is going on? Um, Other losses would be things like friendships. Mm. I definitely lost friendships. People, it's amazing when you extend yourself, when you expand in care for people groups and you actually say, these folks belong how other folks feel threatened by that, which still boggles my mind Yeah, that you're saying that, that certain people feel threatened by including others. Yeah, And I, I I don't know how I, I don't understand it. The, the threat that folks feel like it takes nothing away from you. I don't mean you, Chris, but collectively you like Mm. it takes nothing away from, you know, um, white folks to now include more people in belonging Mm. and to celebrate other people, groups and to create equity. And, um, that is unfortunate. So it has cost friendships. Um, you know, the thing that I don't know is did it cost revenue streams as far as, you know, fundraising or things like that at my previous, uh, job does it cost us revenue streams at our current job my current job because you know we have um with our programming you know we are very clear on our anti-racist stand we don't know no one's ever said that to us (laughs) um you know but you know that's always in the back of our mind but we don't choose a victim mentality so we're like this is this is just where we are we're just going to move forward um We're caring with that. You know, we don't, you know, we're not like a bull in a china shop or anything like that, but we just just move forward with, you know, um, this is what we're going to do. And the way we talk about things at Leadership Columbus is, you know, this is a learning environment and we're trying to train people around these concepts. And so the goal isn't to just say, you know, this is our stand and like it or leave it. That's not our attitude. Our attitude is, this is our DEI framework. This is our anti-race, anti-racism anti framework. We want to train you and teach you around these things. We welcome pushback. We welcome questions. Let's have a conversation. And mm. um, and so we treat it like a learning environment, not you know our way or the highway. Um, yeah. But it, it did cause, personally, it did cause friendships. It did cause people to walk away um, from a relationship with me and friendship. And that's sad. That's heartbreaking. Um, but... I don't want that, but that that is definitely a cost.
0: Yeah. Thank you for just the vulnerability. I feel like the articulation of that was so compelling from a permission-giving standpoint and a holding a a healthy center of compassion value standpoint. Um, And I think for me, it's like, you know, I I lived in East Tennessee for 10 years. Uh, And then Arkansas, like 7, 10, I forget, whatever, (laughs) I can't measure time anymore. Pre-COVID, you know, I'm in my mid forties. That's what I know. But like I saw racism as a child and as a young adult in some of those spaces. And so as all of this is kind of like come into the national conversation in a more diligent way, none of it was surprising to me. Like that was there. Um, I think what's surprising to me is just how much we forget We can all, as humans, compare ourselves and feel insecure and think I've got to – people could say I'm not actively doing it, but I'm keeping you down because there's not enough and I need to go up. And the only way I can go up is if you go down Um, and and how systemic that can be.
1: It's back to that zero-sum game, right? If there has to be a winner and a loser is really – it's it's that same attitude. And I think one of the other biggest challenges around it is – especially in the in like northern states, there's less overt, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but there's less sure. overt racism. For example, in Columbus, the bigger challenges in areas like this are when you work with folks that, like, I'm not racist. I like black people. I have a black friend or something like that, and yeah. they don't recognize... The systemic racism and how pol- for example, policies or procedures or how um, you know terminology or you know societal means or things like that, and how they participate in those things, and the big one, this is the key, that when someone shares with them that a microaggression or something like that that they've participated in it, that they take personal offense, and that that's not even necessary. It be mm-hmm. like, And this is how someone explained it to me that's just super helpful. And it's kind of funny. If I say, hey, as a friend, if I say, hey, Chris, you've got a booger in your nose. You would say, <laughs> you would go, oh, my God, thank you. And you would get rid of it yeah. and move on. It's the same. That's the same thing with, like, yeah racism. You go, thank you for letting me know and stop doing it and move on. That's all you need to do. Like, thank you for explaining that to me. Yeah. That's all you have to do when a black person says, hey, that was a microaggression, or that was not equitable, or that was white supremacist, all you have to do is say, thank you for educating me. I really appreciate that labor. I'm not gonna do that again, I appreciate it. And then you move on. You don't have to be guilty. You don't have to be mad and offended. You accept it, thank, and move on. It's that simple. And then just don't do it again. But for some reason, a lot of white folks feel like they have to immediately be defensive. And then the worst part that I see, they double down. And, you know, which makes it even worse. And so, um, and, and again, I didn't just wake up knowing this. I learned this during that year of just yeah. listening to other people that don't look like me. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, that's
1: why that education is so important.
0: Yeah, thank you. I mean, I think, you know, we have such, if we're honest, we have such fragile egos, right? Mm-hmm. And oh, so yeah. if my wife corrects me on something... I'm gonna double down, go go down in a ball of flames, proving I'm right, rather than go. Thank you. Like yeah. yeah, and 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 you know these vulnerable moments where I have received wonderful correction and and haven't done nearly uh, the work that you've done, but the little bit where I've put myself out there and and done some uh, growth myself and and received some correction on things. Yeah, it's like okay. If if I'm participating in something that is systemically harmful, it I can see that as an action I did, and be sorry for that, not have to carry it as an identity. And I'm a yeah. racist person. So separating like the behavior from the identity has been powerful for me. And that's in all areas of my life. I mean, so I haven't been running. I got injured and I started running again. And there's this trail outside of our neighborhood, and and I'm running it. This was like three days ago, Shannon. So as as much as I want to say I'm growing. Uh, <laughs> This, this this guy with I'm trying to be polite here, but it sets up the story uh, a healthy dad bod. Well, you'd say an unhealthy dad bod, I guess, <laughs> healthy proportions uh, is running and pushing a stroller. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, you know pretty far behind him, but I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna catch him. I'm gonna I'm gonna get ahead of him. you know and just this thing in me like a comparison,
1: mm-hmm.
0: competition, scarcity. And uh, and I knew it was happening, but I was still like, I'm gonna run, you know. And I get near him because I am running faster than he is, and then he stops, like before I could get the pleasure of passing him. He checked out of the game, you know. And and I think that if we're honest, it's this insecurity that's happening in all of us. And and I've just I've seen you lean in on that, and so I'm so glad for you to share and and you know invite us into that. What's it been like for you, you know, in leading Leadership Columbus? Any leadership enterprise is challenging. Any leadership shift or change can be so demanding. What's, what's been the surprise? And I know you have to be sensitive to constituency and all that and whatever you can share. But what's been the surprise challenge that you've seen in your efforts there that you're, you're seeking to improve something? And maybe it hasn't gone as easy as you would have liked
1: i think the surprise challenge um hmm that wasn't in your prepared questions um yes the surprise, that was a surprise the surprise <laughs> that was a
0: surprise question. question
1: um i think the surprise challenge has been i didn't plan to grow the staff from two to five staff members in a year um that i mean that's i guess a good challenge but that has really maxed out my capacity this year yeah and i'm really struggling with that right now and i know it will get better you know it's just a growing pain and that and on top of that so the layer with that that has made it such a challenge is from a developmental standpoint there's like three layers, growing the staff fast, growing the staff while adding new programs, Mm -hmm. and staff that have never run those programs. So you have all this new layered in. So normally you bring people in to an established program. So at least you have a program that you know well, so you can take something that you basically have mastery level at and then train them in what you know. But for example, we have a new program called COLA. The, the program isn't new. It's just new to us. We we folded it in um, from another organization. So we're learning the program as we're training a new hire to run the program. And I'm training the person to train the mm-hmm. direct report. Like So there's all these layers of new. And so that's been a surprise challenge for me. I feel like... Everyone is rising to the challenge, but it's been it's taking a lot of self-regulating for all of us. (laughs) And fortunately we have a lot of emotionally intelligent people on our team. Um and this isn't sustainable. So, you know, um, you know, after the program runs later this month, I think we're all gonna need a couple days to like just take a couple days off and relax a little bit so we can get a breather and (laughs) come back refreshed. But that was something I wasn't planning on, you know, we really thought this was not going to be this hard.
0: Yeah. 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 That I, th- I'm, I appreciate you sharing that because I think for people listening, uh, this is so encouraging because it's, it's people that want to grow something. And these aren't necessarily companies we, we do a lot of work with because they're just not big enough yet. But a lot of questions we'll get sometimes at different events or whatever is around this idea of getting your first team going and building that team up and and the thing that people don't think about a lot, I think you're giving, a, a, you know, an expression of this that's that's so, so honest and healthy for people to understand. You know, when you have one or two people, you can really still advance the mission. When you have five or seven, just leading those people alone can be a full-time job. It right? is. I mean, that's how organizational infrastructure develops. And uh, – yeah, so that time pressure, that that's that's some real stuff there. What for you right now if if you and this is just learning more about where you want to advance and grow as a leader, uh what for you right now would you say if I could wave a magic wand and do, you know, 5 hours less of this. What would that be?
1: Administrative per week. work.
0: <laughs> Administrative work, yeah.
1: Like paper pushing you know i'm 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 a visionary big picture I like to plan and think and I'm not a detailed person like I have high competency in those areas because I've had to develop that competency because of different work situations mm-hmm. but just because someone's competent in someone and something doesn't mean they like doing it or that it gives them life those things do not give me life um, they make me want to stab my eye out with a dull pencil. (laughs) And so if I could do five hours less of it, it would be like record keeping type of thing. Someone else needs to be doing that. And we'll get, we will get there right now. It's just a necessary evil. Um, And and my board knows that they know that we need to work towards that. But um, this organization has traditionally run on basically two, two and a half staff. So this is the first time that I know of the organization has had five full time. Well, we have five, four and three quarter staff people. Next year will be six, so you know it's um, it's quite the growth for the organization. So, um, but yeah, that would be it. Yeah, do less administrative work.
0: Totally, and and you wouldn't have ha- you wouldn't have as much, but the team has grown, so yeah. that element grows. And people want to be like, I should be able to just like know exactly how to structure all this right now to get past it. I'm like, well, no, you wrestle through it. It's almost like there's an old teaching around this that I think is really cool. This wineskin bursts because, you know, it's old and you have to build a new one to get new wine. So you've got to upgrade the infrastructure of your yeah. day, your – and and that t- it's nerdy and tedious, but I get excited about that stuff because you're shedding that old skin. You're going into the new. Uh, as you go into this new, and as you're you're wrestling to this next level, um, no doubt you're you're taking skills you've learned up to this point. I think this is just a fun question to ask people because it has an element of um, you know health to it. But but what are you leaning on to to go to the next level as an organization? as a leader, and I want you to think about this, like, as a quality, like, what do you like about yourself the most, Shannon, that is, you know, something you appreciate about who you are, and it's going to help you get to the next level here.
1: I think what I like about myself, at least right now, um, is my ability to quickly shift from disappointment to opportunity, Mm. Um, to be able to look at, like, an ending A challenge you know however you want to define it like a closed door an impossible situation and ask myself okay what does this make possible now
0: Hmm.
1: Um, and not get stuck in in victim mode uh, at least not for too long Um, sometimes I get even freakishly excited about those challenges I've even had to (laughs) stop look at me like what is wrong with this person you know Um, and I really credit that to my meditation practice and also, you know, you mentioned ego before, um, Juan Alvarez who a lot of folks know in the Columbus community, he's a meditation coach, you know, he, he defines the ego as simply your mind trying to explain life to you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes when things go wrong, immediately our ego tries to, Attach our identity to that, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm such a terrible leader or I can't believe I got that wrong. And and, you know, that's just, you know, our identity um, sneaking in there and trying to explain life to us, you know, Mm -hmm. and instead being able to to shift that and detach from that disappointment, that situation and instead move in and become quite opportunistic in a positive sense and go, okay this is happening, and to really just remain present mm. um, and accept. Uh, and when I say accept, I don't mean accept the, the content of what's happening because sometimes sure. the content is not acceptable, right? You know, if something, mm-hmm. especially something really bad is happening. Um, but what I mean is just not resisting the moment, not resisting what is, um, okay. because you can't change it, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, to move out of that resistance, I just say to myself, okay, this is happening. So what does this make possible? Mm -hmm. And, um, I find that identifying my choices in any situation feels very empowering and helps me continue to move forward and not get, get stuck. Now that doesn't mean I don't ever feel stuck, but, um, but I, I seem to have a a pretty good knack for, um, moving things forward, um, when it when disappointment happens so I'm pretty I'm proud of that and I do like that about myself
0: oh, I love it thank you for the articulation I mean it's like that is the starting point of change as you know when we went through figure that shift out you get aware you accept what is you don't fight against it and and it's you know you don't graduate the need to walk through this as a continual process yeah you 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 just get maybe a little quicker at, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm upset about a problem. I get stressed. And, you know, later that day, I'm like, Hey, you know what? I'm thankful that I know what the problem is. I'm thankful that, you know, and this gratitude starts to to shift within me. So I have seen that in you. That's super cool. Fired up to, to hear that you appreciate that about yourself. Um, <laughs> With, with it being uh, something that, you know, when we worked together a number of years ago, you went through our key program, figure that shift out. I'm curious because I hear the way the message has just gone deeper in different ways uh, into who you are as you've continued to draw from other resources, learn from yourself. What, f- what still sticks with the work that we did together? What's, what do you still go back to or what meant the most? Where, wherever you take yourself with that question.
1: I think um, I still notice when I'm proving or hiding. Like that That, that mm. has always stuck with me. And I think specifically around that, that there's signals to me that, that really it's my authentic self that's just not being seen, that's not coming mm. out. You know, when I'm mm. trying to run from something, um, when I'm hiding, or whenever I'm just trying to like, puff up a little bit or trying to, trying to prove something, um, when I'm improving sometimes can come out and like defending myself. Right. And sometimes, Mm -hmm. um, even if I don't say something up, I feel that welling up. Like I need to defend myself. I'll have to tell myself, you don't have to defend yourself to anybody. Like I don't have to prove anything to anybody that yeah. it's just a reminder to me that it's just that authentic self that's trying to come out and I remind myself what is, what is, what is the real Shannon trying to do here and just come back to that, right? Um, and, and I just think of those as just like, like if my car light comes on, right? It's just a signal and just try to neutralize hmm. it at that point. Um, it's a really great self-discovery method, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then also that core fear, those core fears... And really remembering that and observing it, noticing when it happens, and being compassionate when it creeps in again, recognizing it. Um, I know this sounds weird, but like detaching it and observing it and then loving that part, you know, not um, bemoaning it, but like, like okay, I see you. I see what you're trying to do. Um you protected me at one point in my life. Like I needed that fear to protect me from something at some point. It developed Mm -hmm. for a reason. Um, But I don't need you anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm safe now. Um, I see what what I might have needed that for. But I've outgrown, you know, I have these new tools. And Mm -hmm. so figuring out what tool I need right now, you know, I don't need that tool, but I need something else. And so um, now I'm making it sound like I do that every time and I just it's so simple. So I don't want the listeners to think it works sure. like that because it doesn't. Um, but like you just <laughs> said a few moments like you just said a few moments ago, the sight shift program it, if you practice the principles, it truly truly does. And I'm not just saying that because I'm sitting here today. <laughs> I really mm-hmm. do believe that as you practice the principles that you do shorten the gap between um, the that when you are aware of it, and and like you know not doing it anymore you know not succumbing yeah. to the fear if you will and yeah. that space between the rumination and um the proving and hiding and all of that muck that you get stuck in that does severely change for your good as you practice mm-hmm. those concepts and I really think the other one would be around the flip or, or shifting your mindset. Um, what I love about that model is that while there are tons of models out there around like changing your mindset or making a shift, whether it be in psychology, like, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy or something like that, a lot of those models are not accessible to everybody. They're, and they're not easily understood. You know, some of them are really complicated. And um, to me, the model that you present not only is it accessible and understandable but it for me at least going through the program it was contextualized for my leadership and Mm. contextualized for what i was going through at the time and um i can only assume that that's still the way that it's that it's delivered and so wherever you are you know in your leadership journey you can take that model so it's not just for Like if I'm the CEO or I'm a director or whatever I'm doing, I can use this model wherever I am right now in that journey, Mm. which is really useful. So it's not like it's a specific thing that's only good for one area or one place. Um, It's something that can be contextualized no matter what. So, um, which is really good because no two leaders are having, you know, the same experience at the same time. And yet we're all having very similar challenges, I guess. So to me that's the power of of that model of making um of making that shift.
0: Yeah. So encouraging. Thank you. Yeah, I mean I, I there was things you were putting to words there that I'm like, oh, I need to remember to explain it that way and to, to tell our coaches to explain it that way. That was fantastic. Um, we, we, are, we all are having our own unique experience. And we yet, like you said perfectly, we're all facing these same challenges in a lot of ways. I know you have your finger on the pulse of things and where things are at from a leadership standpoint. What do you think, if you were to be able to encourage some leaders, uh, just say, here's what people really need to know right now. Uh, maybe this is for people to hear from you that are leading others, or or they're just out there. They don't really have a lot of uh, responsibility in leading others, but they, they interact with people. What would be something you would tell them that you think they could hear and be encouraged by in these crazy times?
1: You know, I think if leaders are listening right now, um, I was just talking to one of our board members today. I had lunch with him, and we were talking about the importance of... I don't want to overuse this word because I just used it two times, but contextualizing your policies mm. and the way you show up for your folks. So, for example, if you have a policy, this is going to be really granular, but I'll make it broader in a second. If you have a policy around, you know, reimbursements or something like that, think about the fact that you know inflation was nine point one percent and people were paying five bucks a gallon for gas. You know, don't nickel and dime people right now. You have your rules and your guidelines and think about what people are facing right now. Think, mm. think about how you can offer some extra PTO. Um, think about how you can check in with people more. Um, if you can't offer extras financially, think about how you can ask them more how they're doing. Um, check in with people. People are in general, not everyone is doing okay right now from an emotional standpoint. And I'm not just mm. talking about COVID there's there are a lot of struggles right now no matter where you are on the political spectrum um there are a lot of folks struggling with some decisions that have been happening from a federal standpoint there are folks that are struggling uh, on on both sides of the fence and um, you don't have to go into the specifics around that if you don't feel comfortable and obviously in the workplace sometimes that's a, a challenging thing to do um people are really um they're they're fried. They're, they're really crispy, yeah. as you as, as, yeah. as you say, you know. And a little just checking in on them goes a long way. I think from a leadership perspective, even if you're not the kind of leader that you know, someone say, "Well, I'm not touchy feely." Um, I don't think it requires you to be touchy feely to really connect meaningfully to people. Other practical ways you can connect meaningfully for folks that even if you're not a touchy feely, would be to have just regular check-ins with folks and just ask them things like, hey, what's something you're celebrating professionally right now? You don't even Mm -hmm. have to ask them about their personal life, Mm -hmm. but just have a touch point with your folks every week and ask them, what are you celebrating? What's a challenge you're facing? Is there anything I can help you with with that challenge? Mm -hmm. They will appreciate that touch point without you even talking about their personal life. You know, people, sometimes just want to know that you care and I know that sounds almost too simplistic you'd be amazed at how far that goes and then the third thing that I'll mention and the only reason why I know this is so important is because I do training after training after training of folks that are that work for leaders that say their leaders don't give them this and that is tell people the rationale when you make decisions mm. I would say 90% of the folks in our early manager program that, so they want to be a manager for the first time. And we talked to them about this, um, about sharing the rationale and they're all like, we never have our leaders tell us why we're doing things, why decisions are made. And this is key to alignment, right? Align people to a higher purpose or, you know, um, like to, the mission of the organization or Mm -hmm. even to the team, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like the organization's like goals or aspirations for the year. And when I say to the group, how many of you have tasks and goals right now that you're working on and you have no idea how they are tied to the organization's quarterly or annual goals. Almost every hand goes up. They have no idea why they're working on what they're working on. No idea because nobody in leadership gives them rationale and yeah. I know these are uber specific, but you'd be amazed at how far those things go. Tell I, people why they're doing stuff.
0: I love it. I love it. I mean, you know, being in the spot where I'm coaching the person that isn't giving that rationale, we we have a template. we Logic, motives, tested action. The, the logic, the motives, how it's been tested and proven, even if it's a new thing, how but it show up in another category and then the exact action. Um. But it's like everybody's lives are on fire. Yeah. I I mean, I'm not being like chicken little about it. (laughs) But everyone is like clawing for margin. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that that has gone out the window. So super incredible uh, clarity and helpful for people to advance. Well, Um, I have two
1: big picture things that I want to share. Do it. The two big picture ones for leader. So, So those were like uber granular, but the two big picture ones for leaders I would share would be number one, commit to doing your own inner work, your inner environment, whether you think so or not, like if you're suffering, if you are having um, a bad experience as a leader, whether it's site shift, you know, I hope you do site shift, but if it's not do something Um, To improve your experience as a leader. Because I don't care what your actions are, what you experience as a leader spills into the lives of the people that you're leading and it is affecting them negatively. You cannot hide that stuff. The second thing go learn from Black, Indigenous, and other people of color and say nothing. Just go learn and do it for the next year if you aren't already doing it. Just go learn, buy their books, take their classes. Follow their you know, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook accounts and just learn from their thought leadership, learn about their experience, and that's all you need to do. You'll figure out the rest.
0: Hmm. Thank you. I love it. The moral imperative. You're letting mm-hmm. it overflow out of you. Um, <laughs> well, so, so, you know, weirdly, site Shift, we connect with people from Finland to New Zealand to whatever different parts of the world and, and – and, and, in the States here. So I'd love for people to have a way to connect with you other than Leadership Columbus. Is there a way that they can find out about your book or something you could tell us? And then also tell us where, especially for Columbus listeners, if they wanted to put some of their leaders through Leadership Columbus or connect with you there, where to go. So two places to take us.
1: Yeah. So if, so I do have a book called, um, Servant Leader Mindset, And it is about servant leadership, but it really focuses on the inner part of servant leadership. That is my passion, by the way, is really just mindsets. Because I do believe the inner life of the leader is what affects leadership the most. And it focuses on five mindsets of servant leaders. And that's on Amazon. Just look up Servant Leader Mindset, Shannon Lee, and you'll find it. Um, And I can send you a link if that's helpful to post. And then for Leadership Columbus, leadershipcolumbus.org. And if you go to the programs tab, currently we are signing folks up for two programs. One is NextGen. NextGen is the program I mentioned that's for early managers or those who are desirous of their first management experience. This focuses on management competencies and emotional intelligence. So this is not the civic oriented program. That's Mm -hmm. called the signature program. That one's already in motion right now. And then exec gen. So if you think of next gen and exec gen as like bookends, exec gen is at the other end. That one is for very experienced leaders who have 20 plus years supervisory experience. That one is also leadership competencies and emotional intelligence, but that one is more around you know leading organizations and teams um, and really focusing on things like change agility, strategic planning. trauma-informed leadership, those types of things. So much more advanced. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Perfect. I think for people in Columbus, yeah, to hear that as a resource, you can hear how Shannon describes it. A, she's passionate and knows it, uh, but B, there's something there for you to get to take a next step with. Because the weird part about how episodes work like this, I mean, some of the most listened to episodes are from 2015, like wow. like recent. So People, you know, you never know when people are listening to an episode. It might sync up with some of the promotion that's happening, but they can go to leadershipcolumbus.org, so that's great. Um, Shannon, you, you brought your heart. You brought your impact. You opened with this passion for diversity, closing with this passion for mindset. I feel like that expresses so much of who you are. What a joy to have you. Thank you for being on the show, and uh, can't wait to share this episode.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks so much for being here. You know that self-leadership is difficult. And as you listened, if you found within yourself a desire for more awareness for yourself, your team, or your culture, or the people that you would guide as a coach, you can find more at SightShift.com, S-I-G-H-T-Shift.com to take the next step.